What's up, everybody? I hope you're having a great night. You found it. You've downloaded it. You are here. It is happening. It is episode number two of the Majority Decision Podcast. I am your host, Greg Garcia, coming to you live from the Parts Unknown studio in the great state of Texas. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading. If you haven't figured it out by now, you can now get us on Apple iTunes, you can get us on Podbean, you can get us on Spotify in the next coming week. So thank you for the download. And if you'll be sure and leave us a review, we'd really appreciate that. A subscribe if you can, that would really do us some good. But I hope everybody's doing well. Hope everybody had a great week. It was a pretty eventful week in the world of mixed martial arts and professional wrestling, or at least more importantly, professional wrestling. So today we got a lot to cover. We're going to talk about UFC 250, is it going to happen, is it not going to happen, how's the card shaping up, we're going to talk about the passing of legendary WWF, WWE ring announcer Howard the Fink Finkel, we're going to look through all of these big releases that took place on Wednesday and throughout the end of the week from the WWE, well over 30 different members of their roster and backstage staff were either furloughed or let go, so we're going to talk about that. The XFL called it quits this week, filed bankruptcy, Vince McMahon put it up for sale. We're going to dig into that a little bit, give give us our thoughts on the whole XFL situation. Going to hit you with another, do you remember that time when? And we're also going to throw out an unpopular opinion. So we got a packed full show for you. Let's get to it. First things first, the UFC 250. They say it's going to happen. Dana White says May 9th. It's going to happen. We're going to have to wait and see. No location, no time, just the date is set, and we got a little bit of the card. And I got to tell you, if they get to pull this thing off, it's going to be a great card. If they get to put it together, if they get to find a way to make this thing happen, it's going to be a great card. Of course, they're going to go ahead and continue on with Justin Gaethje versus Tony Ferguson for the interim lightweight title. Uh, This past week, Tony Ferguson showed everybody that he was ready. He was at championship weight on Friday night. You know, look, this is an interesting fight. Justin Gaethje with a record of 21-2. and Tony Ferguson 25-3 and on a huge, huge winning streak. Probably right now the best fighter to not have gold around his waist. So I'm looking forward to that. I don't know if they're going to get it done, but we'll see. Um, Rounding out that card, they're going to... Be looking for a featherweight women's championship match with Amanda Nunes defending against Felicia Spencer. This is an interesting fight that I think I I have a little bit more interest probably than most people too. I don't think a lot of people would give Felicia Spencer much of a chance, but I think she has a little bit more than uh, a chance as most people. She's a she's a she's a good fighter. She doesn't have the experience that Amanda Nunes does, but she's still a pretty solid fighter. She had a good fight against Chris Cyborg, and um, so we'll see. Amanda Nunes right now is really just on another level. Her power is really overwhelming all of her opponents, and uh, you know she continues to get better. I mean, this is not the Amanda Nunes that got beat by Kat Zingano. This is uh, Amanda Nunes that's a uh, championship-level fighter. And, of course, they're also looking to put together a bantamweight men's title fight. A little bit of controversy surrounding this one is Henry Cejudo, Mr. Cringe himself, Triple C, Triple Cringe, however you want to put it, is going to defend against Dominic Cruz. This is an interesting fight because Dominic Cruz has not fought in quite some time. The last several years of his career, he's been hampered with injury after injury ankle injury, knee injury, and um, the last time he fought, in fact, 
was in December of 2016 and a loss to Cody Garbrandt. So it's interesting that Dominic Cruz is going to step up and get this title fight. A lot of people were not happy with that decision. But Dominic Cruz is a great bantamweight fighter when he's healthy. But man, that is an enormously long layoff. He fought three times in 2016, once in 2014. And before that, he didn't fight uh, until 2011. So in this last decade, from 2010 until now, Dominic Cruz has fought nine times. Nine times. So less than once a year in the last 10 years. So I don't think that really works against him. But, uh, you know, it's an interesting fight. I'm a fan of Dominic Cruz. And I'll be interested to see how he matches up against the wrestling of Henry Cejudo. They're also looking to have uh, Francis Ngannou fight in a heavyweight fight on that card. Uh, they're looking at... Uh, having Donald Cerrone and Anthony Pettis, Carlos Sparza, Michelle Watterson. So, I mean, there's some really good fights. But the big question is going to be, are they going to be able to put it together? Are they going to be able to find a place that will host this fight? Of course, they were what seemed to be moments away from holding an event at the Tachi Casino in California until that was stopped by one of the senators there in California. And I imagine that the UFC is going to keep their location again as close to the vest as possible so that it doesn't get out, so that there's not an opportunity for someone to stop it. But it looks like, uh, from what I'm understanding, from what I'm hearing, is probably the, the, a prime place for this fight to take place is going to be in Florida. Um, Florida has allowed the WWE to continue to produce its, tel its weekly television shows there. In that state, um, I would assume that if the UFC wanted to hold an event there, that uh, Florida would probably be okay with that. I know a lot of the MMA media are not okay with that. A lot of fans are not okay with that. Um, if you want to know my thoughts on that whole debacle, you can check out episode one. But, uh, you know, it, we'll just have to wait and see. I mean, look, I know there's a lot of fans out there that are craving for MMA action, that are craving for any kind of sports action. And as the world continues to fight through this COVID-19 coronavirus issue, um, we're all starving for entertainment. We're all starving for sports. And so I think a majority of the fans out there are pulling for it. They want to see UFC 250 take place. I, I have to say I, I probably land on that same side. I mean, look, if they can get it done and they can get it done in a safe manner. And, you know, I know a, a lot of people would argue, you know, what is safe? Well, you know, I mean, the fighters need to fight. The fighters want to fight. The fighters want to make money. And the fans want to watch it. So you've got a product. You've got demand. So let's get it going. Let's see what happens. Uh, Dana White, uh, I'm sure, is going to do everything that he can. Of course, Fight Island is still a thing. And apparently that's still in the works and going to happen. So the next couple of weeks, next couple of months is going to be very interesting. And, you know, another thing that will be very interesting is what, what, if, what if UFC 250 does get shut down? That would be two major events that they tried to put on, spoken to fighters, tried to lead them in the right direction, and then the event gets closed down, canceled. I don't know. I mean, maybe at that point it's time to just say, okay, well, we're just we're not going to try. We're just going to wait, and we're going to wait until uh, the government uh, comes up with a plan or the, the, the health organizations, the scientists, the doctors that know a lot more about this virus than we do uh, come up with an come up with a plan for sports to return. The NBA has been um, very 
quiet and announcing anything. In fact, I'm really surprised that they haven't already canceled the season. I don't think I think at this point there would be no reason for them to to play games. Uh, if, you know, if they wanted to come back and jump right into the playoffs, you know, that might be an interesting situation. You know, hey, I'm a huge Rockets fan. I, I was excited to see how things would turn out come playoff time for Russell Westbrook and James Harden and the rest of the Houston Rockets, just like a, every other NBA fan out there who has their team. But, um, you know, they're waiting around. Of course, MLB is postponed and uh, the NFL has even said that they're not sure how they're going to start their season. So, you know, th- things are things are very crazy right now. But uh, hey, May 9th on your calendar, keep your keep your eyes and ears open and let's see let's see where this thing happens. Let's see what Dana White can come up with. Let's see what the UFC can come up with and uh, you know, maybe we'll get a night of fights, maybe we won't. This past week the world of professional wrestling lost uh, probably the most well-known ring announcer of all of professional wrestling. If you were a fan in the 80s of the WWF, now of course now it's WWE, if you were a fan in the 90s and even in the early 2000s, you know who Howard Finkel is. You know the Fink. You know his voice. If you were a wrestling fan growing up and you wrestled with your buddies in the backyard and you won that match, you envisioned Howard Finkel announcing your name as the winner. If you had your little... uh, Uh, LJN figures that you played with in your room like a lot of us fans did whenever you announced the winners you did it in Howard Finkel voice I mean this man is for a lot of wrestling fans he holds a he holds a very uh, a special place in the hearts of a lot of wrestling fans I think because it was his voice that immortalizes a lot of the great moments in professional wrestling history for the WWF and WWE. Um, I think Howard Finkel is probably one of, he is the greatest wrestling ring announcer of all time. You could even argue that he might be one of the best ring announcers in all of sports in all time. You know, another thing that I don't hear a lot of people talking about right now that he doesn't get credit for, which he absolutely should. Nowadays, the big thing is and new, right? It's a big thing in MMA because Bruce Bruce Buffer says it and new, you know how he does. And we see it hashtagged all the time. The champions, you know, if they want to defend, it's and new. Well, where did that come from? Well, I can tell you where it came from. It came from Howard Finkel. Howard Finkel was the was the first one that I remember in sports entertainment to come along and drop the and new. And uh, let's give you a little sample real quick of uh, just what that sound like. So what you just heard right there was Howard Finkel from the 80s, the 90s, and the early 2000s announcing title changes in the WWE on a couple of different uh, instances. And without a doubt in my mind, 
he is the originator of and new. And I think he should be remembered for that. And I think a lot of these people out there should know that. Um, MMA's kind of taken it over, and that's cool. But, uh, you know, Howard Finkel was a great employee. In fact, for a long time, the WWE touted him as employee number one. He was the first employee that Vince McMahon ever hired for Titan Sports, which was the business operating the World Wrestling Federation. Over the past week, um, you could catch up on a lot of different podcasts out there. Uh, if you listen to Busted Open Radio, I, I know that the guys on that uh, show, it was I believe they had Tommy Dreamer and Justin Roberts and Mark Henry, along with Dave LaGreca. They shared some great stories about Howard Finkel, um, Bruce Pritchard, uh, had some great, uh, had some good words, nice words to say on his podcast with Conrad Thompson. Um, so you know, Howard Finkel made a pretty big impression on the world of professional wrestling for those that were in the business, those that were behind the scenes, and also us fans. And uh, you know, I think it's kind of a little bit of a, a miss, bit sad that he doesn't. I, I don't seem like it doesn't seem like he gets the recognition that he deserves as being one of the greatest ring announcers of all time. I mean, you know, the WWE kind of pushed him to the side, uh, probably when he had another good five to ten years of ring announcing left in him. But, you know, I know I know that uh, Howard Finkel had jobs behind the, behind the curtain too, behind the scenes as well. Um, so, you know, I don't know the circumstances. I don't want to harshly judge them. You know, I, I, I know that some other articles that I read about him – tended to make it not about Howard Finkel, but about Vince McMahon and how terrible of a person Vince McMahon is. You know, it's been it's been bash on Vince McMahon month uh, ever since all of these things that are going on, and especially this past week, which we're going to get a little bit more into. But, um, you know, hey, Howard Finkel, rest in peace, man. Um, passed away on April 16th. 2020 at the age of 69 and I was also surprised to know that uh, for the last several years of his life that Howard had a brain issue and that he um, according to Tommy Dreamer was dealing with a shrunken brain and was kind of having some problems remembering things and um, but uh, uh, so he, he kind of was in some some rough health health there towards the end of his life and uh, so you know hopefully he's in a better place now and um, but, you know, we can look back as wrestling fans and remember a lot of have a lot of fond memories of Howard Finkel announcing our 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 favorite championship changes. One that sticks out to my mind um, is the 1991 Royal Rumble when the Ultimate Warrior was defeated by Sergeant Slaughter and uh, Howard Finkel. They they counted the three and. Finkel kind of gave it a little second for the for the fans to sink in, and then he made the big announcement and knew. And boy, I tell you what, it was an unhappy crowd um, that evening at the Royal Rumble in 1990 for the Iraqi uh, sympathizer Sergeant Slaughter to take the WWF uh, World Championship from the Ultimate Warrior. But, uh, you know, Howard Finkel, again, uh, had a pretty big impact on the world of professional wrestling and uh you know I, I i he's definitely a hall of famer he was inducted into the wwe hall of fame in 2009 well deserving and i you know i hope that uh, i hope fans um you know sometimes you don't know how cool uh 
things are in your life until you don't have them anymore. I think we're all experiencing that uh, right now with a lot of, uh, with a lot of us all stuck in the house, but, um, you know, you never know, uh, you never know what tomorrow brings. So always hug your loved ones and tell them how much they mean to you. In other news, the XFL called it quits. That's right. I'm sure you already know, but the XFL filed for bankruptcy and a lot of people were surprised. They filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy excuse me, earlier this week. And the very next day, it was announced that Vince McMahon had actually put the XFL up for sale. Of course, the season was canceled halfway through uh, due to the coronavirus outbreak and all of the uncertainty and all of the, all sports basically being shut down. But it was they were off to a good start, I thought. I did attend the first uh, Houston Roughnecks game here in Houston. I took my son and a friend of ours and their son, and uh, we had a good time. It was a good time. It was a good game. I, I was jokingly telling all my other friends that the Houston Roughnecks were the number one professional football team in Houston because the if you follow NFL, you know that the uh, that the Houston Texans are basically ran by a, a incompetent coach slash GM named Bill O'Brien. But, uh, you know, that's a whole other story. But, you know, the XFL was doing well uh, in, in a lot of places. Attendance was growing or at least staying the same. A few places dipped down. They were even considering expansion, perhaps going into the next, next season. But apparently losing the second half of their season uh, was just too much for them to recover from. They decided to throw in the town call it quits, filed for bankruptcy. And, and let me just say this, because a lot of the narrative out there, especially from the dirt sheet writers, uh, Dave Meltzer, uh, Brian Alvarez, some of those guys, you know, I, I don't I don't read any of those guys' stuff. I don't listen to their podcasts. But, um, you know, I see t- their their tweets come up in my timeline, retweeted from other people's things. And and I saw one tweet in particular from Dave Meltzer who said that uh, Vince McMahon filed bankruptcy to avoid paying the debt that he owed uh, from the XFL. Well, first of all, uh, let, let me just uh, help Dave Meltzer there from his hate of Vince McMahon. When you file Chapter 11 bankruptcy, it is a restructuring of how you repay your debt. It does not absolve you from the debt that you owe. What it does is it allows you to restructure the time and the uh, uh link that you have to pay it back. So when you, whenever someone files chapter 11 bankruptcy, whether it be an individual or a business, which is usually for a business, uh, it basically just allows them to renegotiate the terms of their debt with their debtors. And they are not released from any of their debt. They are uh, still obligated. So um, Vince McMahon didn't just file bankruptcy to lop off all of the debt that he owed. Um, but you know, business is business and it is what it is. And, you know, when, when you, when it all came out and and more information began to come out on, uh, you know, the debt that they did have, man, I I have to tell you, I was kind of, uh, I was a little bit shocked. And from the way that it looked to me, regardless of how well that the XFL was doing from the debts that they owed, man, I, I, I think even if the season would have continued that they probably would have ended up going bankrupt. I mean, when you just look at a couple, look at the top of the list of their debtors. You got the St. Louis Sports Commission; they owed 1.6 million. Bevel NEP Integrated Solutions of Pittsburgh, 1.2 million. 
Dallas Renegades coach Bob Stoops, $1 million. Mark Tressman, uh, $777,000. Coach Jonathan Hayes, $633,000. Coach Winston Moss, $583,000. Kevin Gilbride, $583,000. June Jones, five hundred. I mean, so they owed a lot of money. They owed Ticketmaster $655,000. So they were in deep debt. So somewhere along the lines... Uh, either they weren't making the money off of ad revenue that they thought they were, or the TV money wasn't as good as they thought it was going to be. Somewhere they made some miscalculations because there were some people that were grossly getting overpaid here. And I get what they were doing. They brought they were wanted to bring in good coaches, just like they wanted to bring in good players. They wanted to make good investments in the league. But man, when you take a look at this list of debts and debtors, it's not hard to believe that they filed for bankruptcy. Um, and like I said, it wouldn't have surprised me had they continued the entire season with this load of debt that they had um, and the uncertainty of the television rights for a seat for a, a follow-up season, uh, bankruptcy was probably inevitable for them. But, you know, the XFL, I think they, you know, and the sad thing about it is, is that I think they did it right. You know, I think they had a great look. I think they had great production value. I think the product on the field, listen, if you remember the, the original XFL, the product on the field was awful. I mean, games were terrible. I mean, it, they just were. The, the quality of the football being played. And I'm not saying that the quality of the football in the XFL is close to college football or close to uh, um, the NFL because it wasn't. But the quality of play and talent overall was significantly better than the first time around. And there were some exciting games. There were some exciting players. There were some talented players. And, you know, the production of it, the way they did it, the few changes that they made, which I fully expect the NFL to completely take all of the good ideas from XFL, just like they did the first time around that they went out of business. But, hey, it is what it is. It's, it's uh, you know, it's just business, as they would say. So it kind of, you know, it's a little sad to see that it didn't work out. Um, but you know, Hey, Vince McMahon took a chance and it didn't, it didn't work out. Hopefully I think in the world of sports, I think that this closes the door on the dream of anyone starting another professional football league here in America, because the NFL is the market. The NFL has this market on lock and there has never been another league that has started, that has been successful. There has never been another league that has started and been successful, and there probably never will be one. So I think with the with the bankruptcy of the XFL, you know, and even though I realize that it's for sale and maybe somebody will come in and want to buy it, I highly doubt that, especially with with the state of how everything is right now and how sports are shut down, how the country's basically shut down. I don't see anyone buying that thing. If they buy it with the intentions to um, reopen it, I, I definitely don't see that happening. And maybe somebody wants to buy the merchandise rights, or maybe somebody wants to buy the games or something, you know, the film, the library. Uh, you know, maybe somebody might want to buy out a contract or something. You know, I, I don't know who knows. But as far as this thing being sold with the intention of it being reopened, man, I'm just, I don't know about that. I think if it doesn't sell, um, you know, 
Some people have speculated that maybe Vince McMahon would make another run at a second season. You know, I don't know. I think with everything going the way it is, with the things that he's having to deal with in the WWE, I just don't see that happening. And I think this closes the book on the XFL. And I think it should close the book on the possibility of any other professional football league being opened in the future. This past week was a tough week for any fans of the WWE as a lot of people were released. A lot of talent was released. A lot of backstage talent was furloughed. Um, Producers, trainers, coaches. There were cuts made on the main roster. There were cuts made in NXT. There were cuts made in NXT uh, over in England. So I just want to take a few moments and and let's just take a look at the list and let's go down this list and you know, I mean, look, it's the WWE didn't make cuts for the last several years, not major cuts. And previous to that, every year they would have a period of time where they would make cuts, whether they're significant cuts or they're not. But the last couple of years, I think because of the shift in the revenue, the shift in the financial situation for the WWE, that they didn't have to make cuts. And so now with things happening kind of the way that they are, it kind of just all piled up on them. You know, I know a lot of people will be critical, you know, what what a terrible time for any business to put someone out of a job. What a terrible time for anyone, uh, for any company to have to put, uh, to have to let people go, uh, you know, when there's so much uncertainty. But look, it's still a business. And don't forget, these guys, I would assume a majority of these wrestlers that are being released are going to get a 90-day no-compete clause, which means they're going to get paid for 90 days. A lot of these guys are going to have jobs basically waiting on them, whether it be AEW, New Japan, Impact, NWA. And, and you know, I know what you're thinking. Yes, the, the no companies might be hiring. But the reality is, I think we're going to see a lot of these guys get picked up by other companies. And so, you know, I mean, no, I don't want to see anybody lose a job. Uh, You know, there were a lot of wrestlers on here that I like that I'm going to miss seeing on WWE television. But uh, but again, like I said, I mean, I think a lot of these guys are going to be all right. And you could even argue that that being released by the WWE for some of these guys might even be the best thing that ever happens to their career. I mean, the WWE, a lot of people were accusing them of holding some of these guys hostage and not letting them go when they wanted to be let go. So, you know, timing, put, put, put the timing of the situation to the side, and let's just think about what might the future hold for some of these guys. I mean, a pretty long list of talent. A lot of them, you can look at the list. You know, you can look at guys like Kurt Angle. You can look at uh, Anderson and Gallows, maybe a Rusev. And you can say, well, you know, I, I, I can understand why probably they they let those guys go. Kurt Angle is probably a big money contract um, to basically sit at home. I know he was trying to transition to a producer agent role in the backstage area. But my assumption is he was probably still on a pretty high dollar contract from the time that he was a performer. And um, so, you know, they, they probably cut him loose of that. If I had to guess where Kurt, what's going to end up happening with Kurt Angle is uh, I would guess that he's probably going to be back at a lesser rate as a producer 
when they bring all of the rest of the producers. And so let's clear that up too, because a lot of people were confused as to who was furloughed and who was outright let go. All of the talent, the performing talent, the wrestlers, if they were let go, they were let go. But the backstage talent, the coaches, the producers, the agents, those guys were furloughed. So that so what that means is that the WWE is going to hold their job and when things begin to open back up or return to some level of normalcy, they're going to have the option to bring them back assuming that they would want to return. And I would guess that a lot of those guys want to return. Speaking of guys in the back, one of the, uh, one of the guys I really felt sorry for uh, was Lance Storm. I mean, Lance Storm just started four months ago. He closed his very successful school that he had up there in Canada to go to work for the WWE. So, you know, he gave up something that he had invested, I think, around 10, 12 years of his life and, uh, you know, to go to work for the WWE and then he finds himself getting furloughed. But I, I definitely think they're going to bring those guys back. Billy Kidman, um, you know, uh, agents that have been there for a long time. Um, they're they're going to bring them back. Probably Kurt Angle will get brought back. Uh, Gallows and Anderson, who, if I understand correctly, recently just re-signed, maybe within the last year, year and a half. And they were probably making somewhere in the range of around $700,000 a piece. So those are big money contracts. The problem with Gallows and Anderson it's it was the WWE had no idea what to do with them. We talked about this a little bit on uh, last week's episode. Uh, there are some people on that roster that the WWE has they just don't know what to do with them. They don't know how to present them. They don't know how to uh, how to how to book them in their stories or write for them. And so they end up with these guys that are very talented, but they're just not able to do anything with them because they don't. They don't have a vision for them. Um, I think they brought in Gallows and Anderson back, I think it was in 2016 maybe, you know, along with AJ Styles. And, you know, I think they were hot names. They were hot coming off of the Bullet Club in uh, New Japan. And, you know, they brought them in and they gave them a pretty, pretty hot start. But I, I don't think they ever really had any idea how to utilize them to the best of their ability. And that's why they had them off again, on again, uh, stories with AJ Styles, and they never really got a chance to work with Finn Balor, which I think was probably a missed opportunity. And of course, the WWE's tag team division is, you know, it's it's always second. Uh, you know, it's always taking a backseat to everything else. The WWE is not a tag team wrestling company, uh, even though they've got great tag teams, which is another terrible thing. But, you know, Gallows and Anderson, my guess is their number one destination is probably going to be going back to New Japan. I think, of course, that's going to be up to them. Do they want to go back to Japan? Um, they've spent the last several years at home. Um, Carl Anderson has a family. I think Luke Gallows is single, but, uh, you know, so that might have a lot uh, of a lot to do with their decision. But, uh, you know, of course, I'm thinking just probably like you're thinking, they're either going to go back to New Japan or they're going to end up in AEW or they're going to get one of those contracts that's going to allow them to work AEW and New Japan. So those guys are going to be all right. That's a talented team right there. Uh, they're going to be okay. The other big name on the list uh, was uh, Rusev. And, of course, we all know that Rusev wasn't happy, hasn't been happy. And the dub, this is another guy where the WWE, and it's not that they, I, I don't think it's that they didn't know what to do with him as much as they just didn't want him to succeed. And I know that sounds weird, 
But let's not forget, this guy rode in to WrestleMania on a tank. He rode into WrestleMania on a tank. He was at a peak level of popularity. Him and Lana were a great act. They were great together. They were definitely on their way up. And that peak moment that Rusev came in at WrestleMania on a tank to wrestle John Cena, that was pretty much it. Because from that point forward, it was downhill. And the Rusev day got over. The chanting of Rusev, that was there at WrestleMania in Louisiana when the crowd, before the show even started, was chanting Rusev Day. And, you know, look, this guy got himself over with the crowd, but the WWE just never gave him a chance to succeed or never never gave him a chance to kind of break through that glass ceiling. And he would go up, he would go down. They put him in that awful angle with Bobby Lashley. Now they've got his wife with Bobby Lashley. Uh, Rusev requested his release. He didn't get it. Now he's got it. He's going to go somewhere else, and he's going to be a big name. Whether it's New Japan, whether it's AEW, if it's Impact, if it's NWA, if it's Mexico, it doesn't matter. This guy's going to be big. And, um, you know, for him, out of everybody on this list, Probably he's the he can he's gonna be able to look back in my opinion and say getting released by the WWE was probably the best thing that ever happened to him. Some other names that were a little shocking, Leo Rush. Well, another guy that they just just seemed like they couldn't figure out what to do with. Crazy talented. The first time I ever saw Leo Rush uh was on I believe it was either NXT or one of the times that I watched the uh the cruiserweight show. And I was blown away. I was blown away. I was like, this guy is the second coming of Rey Mysterio. This guy is lightning fast. Everything he does is crisp and smooth. And then I find, and then we find out that he's great on the mic. But they put him in a ridiculous role with Lashley. Which, okay, let, let, me, let me restate that. It wasn't a ridiculous idea. Because making him the mouthpiece for Lashley was probably, could have been a good thing. If they would have just let Leo Rush be Leo Rush, instead they put him, they fit him with the little ear earpiece. They're feeding him lines to say absolutely ridiculous, made him look foolish. Uh, basically, just told everybody that this guy doesn't know what to say and he can't speak for himself. We have to speak for him. Terrible, terrible job by the WWE. But uh, you know, if Leo Rush chooses to continue wrestling, I think he's going to be all right. Eric Rowan, of course, made his debut in the WWE with with Bray Wyatt and the Wyatt family and ran through that entire angle. And once he was done with that, another guy, they had no idea what to do with. Crazy big guy, good in the ring. Tried to change him up and put him with um, Daniel Bryan, which I thought was an interesting thing that they did. But look, the moment that they stuck him with that box and carried around, carried, and he had to carry that around, I knew, as a fan, that was the beginning of the end of Eric Rowan. And of course, you guys know what happened. They they finally revealed what was in the raw in the box. It was a ridiculous looking robot spider. And thank goodness they ended that by allowing it to be murdered on Monday Night Raw. Um, but uh, you know they they buried this guy. Eric Rowan didn't bury Eric Rowan. The WWE buried Eric Rowan. So who knows what what the future might hold for him. You know, I think a good place for him to go would be somewhere like Impact or maybe the NWA. 
I think he's got a good look. I think he's good in ring. Um, but he's definitely going to have to be a guy, I think, that goes out and completely changes a lot of what he does. Another surprising release was longtime referee Mike Kyoto. One of the best referees they've got, probably one of the best referees that they've ever had. And they let him go just like they let uh, Mark uh, Wheaton or Eaton go uh, several years ago, a long time, another longtime employee who was the timekeeper. Um, so a lot of people were shocked that he got released. Um, but, you know, he might just retire. But I think there's a I think that AEW or even Impact Wrestling would benefit from having someone like him on their roster as a referee. I know that the AEW has kind of their their little handful of referees that they're pushing real hard or and uh, they have good referees, but uh, Mike Kyoto is a experienced referee with a, uh, a lot of television experience. I think he could uh, definitely benefit uh, any company that he might go to if, if uh, he continues to ref. And, of course, uh, Maria and Mike Kanellis. Uh, you know, Maria is Maria. She's a star. She looks like a star. She's a great performer. Uh, Mike, on the other hand, who uh, formerly, of course, Mike Bennett, or he is Mike Bennett, Formerly Mike Kanellis. Uh, he's a guy that I just never got it. You know, I, I remember seeing him debut in Impact. And they kind of hyped up his debut. And I felt like they gave him a great presentation. And the way they were introducing him I thought was really different. But, you know, then it was like, huh. Okay. Uh, you know, to me as a fan... I never really saw anything special in him. Apparently the WWE didn't either. But hey, they sure did bring him back and debut him on a pay-per-view only to just do nothing with them and not even really give them a chance. I know Maria got pregnant twice, but, uh, you know, uh, again, two people that they brought in and they clearly had no idea what to do with. Zack Ryder and Kurt Hawkins. Both longtime employees, of course, Zach, uh, or excuse me, uh, Kurt Hawkins had been let go and brought back uh, previously. But, you know, for, for him, I think he's going to be a guy that's probably going to do pretty well once the Indies start opening back up. He's got a school, uh, Create a Pro, that he runs, and, um, you know, it's, been, it's had some success. He and uh, Zach Ryder have a very successful podcast, so... You know, I think those guys are going to be all right. Cody Rhodes has already been retweeting every little thing that uh, Zack Ryder posts, so I think it's safe to say that he's going to end up in uh, AEW, which, you know, will be good for him. Zack Ryder uh, had a lot of great opportunities in the WWE. And, you know, the, uh, one of the things that I always enjoyed about him is that it's clear that the guy loves wrestling. And if you ever listen to their podcast, um, they're – they're funny, they're, they're talented guys, they're interesting to keep up with. And, you know, you remember the Long Island Ice-Z and all of the funny things that they did on that show. Zack Ryder was the epitome of, okay, I'm not going to get TV time to get myself over, so I'm going to do everything else that I can within my power to get myself over. And he did exactly that. And again, the WWE had no idea what to do with him and how to get him to the next level. Um, you know, again, another talented wrestler that I'm sure he's going to be okay. Another guy on the list, 
that I'm not surprised that they let go, but another guy that I think that they just had no idea what to do with was Eric Young. Eric Young was a is a talented performer. He can be funny. He can be the heel. He can be the good guy. He's shown that his entire career. He can get over. They brought him into NXT, put him in the lead of a three-man group, which I thought was an excellent uh, excellent group that they called Sanity. They called them up, up, up to SmackDown, and we never saw them again, basically. I mean, just absolutely ridiculous. I, you know, never got a chance. And, and this was actually someone that they brought in and they had a good character for. And a character in a group that could have gotten over. But, you know, for whatever reason, just like most talent that goes from NXT to Raw or SmackDown, they have no idea what to do with them. And so here's Eric Young, wrestled like what, maybe three, four, five times on TV since being on uh, SmackDown or Raw? Wasted talent. But I'm sure he'll have a job pretty much anywhere that he wants. Some NXT talent that got let go. Deanna Perrazzo. I was a little surprised at that one. Uh, Cassius Ono apparently has been added to that list. The former Chris Hero. And uh, Tanara Conti, uh, who was could have been an up-and-coming uh, female wrestler, but I think maybe her attitude kind of rubbed people a long way, at least from what I read, from I heard, from what I heard about her. Another female wrestler that was let go, Sarah Logan. She was just on Raw just a few weeks ago, and they let her go. If I'm AEW, I'm calling Deanna Perrazzo and I'm calling Sarah Logan immediately because th- that women's division needs big-time help. Sarah Logan and uh, Deanna Perrazzo bring television experience, which a lot of the competitors in AEW, the women's division, do not have a lot of, and I think they could bring a lot to the table. So it would be they'd be great additions to that company if someone like Impact, who's been very aggressive in bringing in talented women to their organization, if they don't get them first. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. But look, you know, nobody wants to see anybody lose their jobs. A lot of great wrestlers, a lot of great talented people lost their jobs this week. Um, but, you know, I, I, I want to be positive about it. And I want to say that a lot of these people are going to be all right. They're going to get through it. They're going to find jobs. They're going to be back on TV one way or the other, whether it's in New Japan, whether it's in Mexico, whether it's for AEW, Impact, NWA, Ring of Honor. Um, you know, these, these talented uh, men and women that got let go are not going to have problems finding jobs. Another thing, a, a lot of the criticism, too, going towards Vince McMahon, um, you know, come on, maybe we got we to gotta dial that back a little bit. You know, it is business. And look, I know it's easy to stand up here and say, oh, that's a billion dollar business. They don't have to cut anybody. They could have kept them if they wanted to. Well, yeah, they, they probably could have. Um, they, they probably could have, but they didn't. And the next time you run a billion dollar business, then you can give advice to Vince McMahon. But I haven't done that yet, so I'll keep my opinion on business matters to myself. Next up, I want to share a little bit of an unpopular opinion. At least I assume this is going to be an unpopular opinion. And that's my opinion of Kenny Omega. Kenny Omega is a great wrestler. From what I've seen, he's a great wrestler. The problem is, when I see Kenny Omega, 
when I see him come down the aisle in AEW, and this was, and this is even before we had to send all of the people away, and we had to perform in front of empty crowds. The guy just doesn't look interested. I mean, when I look into his eyes, when I see him, it looks to me like he's going through the motions in the ring. It looks like to me, like maybe he's just not into what he's doing, and and that could be from a lot of different. You know, he could have be having personal problems. Maybe I could be completely wrong. Maybe that's just how he is all the time. I don't know. I saw, but I saw him work in New Japan, and believe me, when I see from what I saw in New Japan, the Kenny Omega that I saw in New Japan is not the Kenny Omega that I'm seeing in AEW. And maybe you can chalk that up to the way they're booking him. Maybe you can chalk that up to the opponents that he's had. I don't know, but whatever it is, it's just not lining up to me. Something's got to be going on. Is he injured? Is he not happy? Is he thinking maybe I should have stayed in Japan? Maybe I should have went to WWE? I mean, I remember to talking to my friend Tim Unglesby about Kenny Omega, and we were talking about, well, what are they going to do with him in AEW? And, well, they, they Dave Meltzer and all of the internet wrestling community spent the last three or four years telling us that this is the greatest guy, greatest professional wrestler in the history of professional wrestling, better than Ric Flair, better than Shawn Michaels, better than Kurt Angle. And he, and, and, and I'll ask this question. I asked it last week and I'll ask it again. If Kenny Omega would have never came to AEW, would AEW be any different than it is right now? The answer is no. And the reason is, is because Kenny Omega has made absolutely zero impact in AEW. Zero. He's had good matches. Yeah, okay. But a lot of guys have had good matches. If, you, if he's the greatest wrestler in the world of professional wrestling, better than Flair, better than Shawn Michaels, better than Kurt Angle, better than Daniel Bryan, better than AJ Styles, then what are they doing with him? I mean, come on. What are they doing with him? Where's he going? Where's his character going? Where's the direction for him? He doesn't have one. Maybe that's the problem. Who knows where he's going? Who knows what he's doing? Does he want to be world champion? Or does he just want to come out there and go through the motions? Because that's what it looks like to me. This isn't a knock on his ability because clearly the guy has the ability to put on great matches. It's just, I don't know. I don't know what they're doing with him. I mean, at first it just felt like, well, maybe they're just holding off and they're going to wait and they're going to get some other guys over and then they're going to bring Kenny back up and they're going to let him loose and they're going to let him do. But no, it just seems like they're kind of working him into the upper middle of the card and just allowing him to be there. I mean, when I see him stand around there with the rest of the elite and closing segments, I mean, he doesn't look upset. He doesn't look invested. He just he just looks like he's there. So I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. If I'm wrong, send your hate mail to the majority decision at Gmail or hit me up at, at majority MMA. And look, again, I'm not knocking his ability in ring. It's just it just doesn't look like it's working. Whatever they're doing with him is not working. If he is as good as everybody says that he is, then I had a lot higher expectations for him. And maybe that's on me and not on everybody else. You know, another thing that I've said about him is, you know, they, they say how great he's great of matches that he's had. And yeah, he's had great matches. The match with Tanahashi, the matches with Jericho. He had a great match with Pac. 
But I mean, think about the guys that I just listed. Tanahashi, we know he has great matches with anybody. Chris Jericho, we know he has great matches with anybody. He said the same thing about Pac. So yeah, I mean, I see that he has great matches with people that have great matches. Well, what about guys that don't have great matches? Because the mark of a great wrestler is someone who can take someone who doesn't have the ability to have a great match and get a very good match out of him. Because that's what the greats do. That's what Shawn Michaels did. That's what Ric Flair did. That's what Bret Hart did. That's what Kurt Angle did. That's what AJ Styles and Daniel Bryan do. Is Kenny Omega that guy? Have we just overrated him? I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but I know the answer to the question of would AEW be exactly the same today if Kenny Omega never showed up? The answer is yes, because he has made no impact. That's the unpopular opinion for this week's majority decision. So let's close out this week's show with, do you remember that time when? Let's lighten things up a little bit. I went a little hard on Kenny Omega, so, well, you know what? On on second thought, let's not lighten things up. Because the, the thing that I want to look back on today and the question that I want to ask you is, do you remember the time do you remember when Taz debuted for the World Wrestling Federation? The year is two thousand. Taz is coming off of one of the best runs of any ECW wrestler in ECW wrestling history. Paul Heyman and Taz have convinced the wrestling community that Taz is a human suplex machine, FTW, choking people out, the originator of the tap out in professional wrestling, great on the mic, believed every word that he said. Listen, when you listen to a Taz ECW promo, You believe because he believed. ECW world champion. And I think late 99, we start seeing the the videos, the 13, the heartbeat. And everybody knows it's going to be Taz. Taz is finally hitting the big leagues. He's coming to the WWF. And that means we're going to get to see him against guys like Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock, Triple H, Ken Shamrock, The Undertaker, Kane, all the top guys of that era. Chris Jericho, Kurt Angle. And they set him up. They set him up to debut against the undefeated Olympic gold medalist Kurt Angle at the Royal Rumble. They bring Kurt Angle out, and Kurt Angle does his little stick and says, So give it your all and come on out. And then, boom, Taz's music hits. The crowd already knew who it was going to be. Probably one of the loudest debuting pops in WWE history. And if you ask Taz, he says that the moment that he walked through that curtain and heard that crowd, he knew his career was over in terms of being a professional wrestler in the WWE. And he would go on to say that that WWE never pushed anything that they didn't build And, of course, they didn't build that pop for Taz. Taz and ECW built that pop for Taz. And, of course, he's a New York native, and uh, ECW was a Philadelphia-based organization that ran a lot in that uh, northeast area. And so a lot of the, most of the, probably all of the New York fans knew who Taz was. And that I'm sure uh, had a lot to do with the pop. But anyway, he comes in, has a clunky match with Kurt Angle, but 
chokes out the undefeated Kurt Angle, and then goes on to have a very lackluster in-ring career. And I know injuries had a lot to do with it, but man, that one moment when the music hit and he came out, what a great pop. What a great debut. It couldn't have gone any better. Unfortunately, the next couple of years and how the WWE used has, I guess we'll just have to chalk it up to, here's another guy that they just had no idea what to do with. And I guess if you want to give it a little bit more backstory, the story is that Vince Russo was the one that was really pushing for Taz to come in. Of course, they brought him in. And um, if you remember, it was in late 99 that Vince Russo made the jump from the WWF to WCW. And of course, a lot of the guys that Vince Russo wanted to bring in, Chris Jericho, Taz being two of those guys, um, all of the plans that Vince Russo had for Taz, of course, they went out the window. And according to Taz, if you uh, if you ever heard him tell the story, he would say that you know Vince Russo was bringing him in with the plan to put him in a put him in a program with Ken Shamrock to have a big match with Ken Shamrock and then uh, elevate him up to a big match with Stone Cold Steve Austin. And could you imagine Taz, ECW Taz, one on one with Stone Cold Steve Austin? Unfortunately, in the WWF, we didn't get ECW Taz. And what I always thought it was funny, what was absolutely weird, was because you bring in a guy who is the human suplex machine, who is the most miserable world champion to ever exist. Taz, great on the mic, believability at a high level. You bring in a guy who's got great suplexes, great power game, great on the mic, and what do you do with him? Well, we don't really want you to suplex because it looks dangerous. And you know what? All that stuff that you were saying in, uh, in ECW, you really can't talk like that because that's kind of Steve Austin's thing. So the FTW and the I don't care attitude and all of that stuff, you know, that's, that's, really, that's really something that we can only let uh, Steve Austin do. So basically, they brought Taz in and they didn't even let him be Taz. Now, I know he went on to have a pretty solid career as a... Uh, as a commentator and you know his his career in ring wasn't bad i mean you know he, hey he, he wrestled for the wwe got to wrestle wrestlemania um you know got to be hardcore champion i think tag team champion but you know if you would have told me in 1998 or 1997 that taz was going to end up going to the wwe and just be another guy on the roster i would have said you're crazy this guy's going to main event pay-per-views but man he never got the chance but, uh, you know, hey, if you want to look it up, it was uh, Royal Rumble 2000 against Kurt Angle. If you're a new fan and you've never saw it, I would encourage you to go over to the network, look it up on YouTube. Uh, one of the best debut pops that you'll ever hear. And uh, Taz was always one of my favorites in ECW. I, as a fan of his, I was definitely disappointed that he didn't have a great WWE career. But he, like a lot of guys, fell victim to, uh, you know, not created by the WWE, so not pushed in the WWE. Man, do you remember that time when Taz debuted for the WWE? Well, that's going to do it for this edition of The Majority Decision. I hope you will give us a subscribe and drop a review on iTunes. Greatly appreciate that. 
If you want to hit me up on Twitter, you can do it at, at MajorityMMA. If you have any questions, comments, or hate mail, you can send it to TheMajorityDecision at gmail.com. Thanks, everybody, for listening and downloading. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next Saturday.